0: Over the last couple of programs here on Abounding Grace, we have focused our attention on the foundation of Galatians, which is the authority of the gospel. One of the reasons we need to recognize that authority is the subject of our time today on Abounding Grace. Join us. So why do we need to recognize and come underneath the authority of the gospel? Well, it is because there are those out there who would try and give us a false gospel. And we need to know the true from the false. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner takes us back to Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10 as we take a look at the true gospel and false teachers. We'll spend the rest of our week looking at this dynamic because it is that important. Please join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: In all the world, there is only one source of good news from God about God, and that is the gospel of the Apostle Paul, which he speaks of in all of his letters, and of course we find In the rest of Scripture. And there is nothing that a sinner against God needs more, particularly when he recognizes that God is angry with him, than good news from God about God. That he is not angry with us any longer, but that our sins can be forgiven. That is what the gospel is it is good news from God about God and it is from God this did not originate with man as we have seen in this first verse Paul who is the author says this didn't originate with me no man gave me this information I got it directly from the living Christ himself who not only gave me the thoughts to think and to propagate but also guided me in the very choice of the words used to express those thoughts. So this gospel that you find written in this book, Galatians, did not originate with men. Men wrote it, but God superintended them and governed them to write down exactly what he wanted us to know. Nothing more. And nothing less. This is good news from God for sinners. And what is the content? It is good news from God about God. If it were news about anything else, it really wouldn't be good news. If it were just news about us, it wouldn't be that important. I mean, you can get the San Jose B and have all the news you want about us, But it is, this is good news from God about himself and that the God against whom we have sinned, the God against whom we live in rebellion and know we live in rebellion, is the God who has given us this gospel written down in a book incapable of error, so clear that the smallest child who thinks seriously about it with the aid of the Holy Spirit, can understand that it says, the God before whom we have sinned has provided a way whereby he will no longer be angry with us, and all of the sins and regrets of our lives will be blotted out, not by us trying to earn anything, but through faith in Christ alone. This is the third Sunday now that we've looked at these early verses in the book of Galatians. And we have seen that Paul is not only trying to impress us with why we ought to believe him, which is that he is an apostle of Christ, but he is telling us his authority is not his own. It is the authority of Jesus Christ himself. But he also wants to establish the basic tenet of the gospel of Christ, because in his day, as well as in ours, there was all kinds of confusion about what the gospel is and how a man and a woman or young person is properly related to God. So he gave us seven tenets of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses. We began looking at them the last time we were together. And we saw, first of all, in verse 3, that the gospel is a gospel of grace and peace. That grace is an unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor from God. It is nothing you can ever earn, and you are never worthy of it. It is God's favor upon people who deserve his condemnation. That God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And he offers rich blessings to those who have forfeited any right to have these blessings by their sin. And he also offers us peace. The Bible says that before a person becomes a Christian, there is hostility in his heart for the living God. And there is anger in God's heart toward us. And so reconciliation has to take place before there can be any bestowal of blessings upon us. But we can't reconcile ourselves to God. So God gave his son Jesus to make peace between himself and us that we might be reconciled to him and be his friends. And now having made peace with God... We have his peace in our hearts, and we live in peace of God as he brings total healing to every aspect of our lives. And he begins to heal broken relationships through us. The gospel is a gospel of grace and peace. And remember, Paul uses this phrase many times in his epistles, but not once does he ever say peace and grace to you. Grace always precedes peace, that before you can have any measure of conformity to the Word of God and any measure of blessing in your life, the grace of God has to be bestowed upon you. There were people in Paul's day, as in our day, who said, We have to earn God's grace by, in some measure, restoring God's peace to us, getting ourselves in some way right with God so we can be worthy of His grace to us. That is all a lie. All of our righteousness, Scripture said, is as filthy rags. Grace must always precede peace. If we are to ever have peace, God's grace must give it to us. We saw, secondly, that the gospel is a gospel that originates with the triune God, not with man. It says in verse 3, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here that Paul puts Jesus on the same plane with God himself. Now, it would be blasphemy. To say Jesus and God the Father in one breath putting them on the same level if Christ were not more than a mere man. So because he is God as well as human, Paul can say that this grace and peace comes from the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is a gospel from beginning to end, that originates with the living triune God. It did not originate with us. It originates totally with Him. He took the initiative. The idea that we have to take the first step before God can do anything is all a lie. God took the first step in eternity past before we were born. In the councils of eternity, God determined in His grace and mercy that He would not allow this damned race to perish in its sin. But in His grace and mercy, He chose from the fallen race an innumerable throng of people upon whom He would bestow His mercy and His grace the Lord Jesus Christ and save them from their sins and had God not made that initial choice before the world even began none of us would ever be saved none of us would ever choose Christ none of us would want anything to do with him if God had not chosen us first As Scripture says, you didn't choose Christ, Christ chose you. So from first to last, it is all of God's doing. Thirdly, it is a gospel for all kinds of sinners. You notice in this text the word our is used three times. Verse 3, grace and peace from our Father. Verse 4, he gave himself for our sins according to the will of our Father. Well, who is the hour? It is the author of the epistle and the recipients of the epistle. Paul and the churches of Galatia. Paul had been a persecutor of the church. And the Galatians came from all kinds of backgrounds and committed every kind of sin in their pagan days. And yet God saved them by his grace. Because you see, no person is too evil, too wicked, too base for God to ever save. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all sinners who will turn, their, turn from their sins and receive Christ. Just a... Short story, while I was gone, I received a call from the radio program from a sermon that I did several years ago in which the individual raked me over the coals and said that I should be kicked off the radio station because I said that it doesn't, make, it doesn't matter what sin you have ever committed. If you repent and you call on Jesus Christ for your salvation, that he will save you. This man said, you can't ever believe it possible that a person who molested a child could ever be saved. Of course, he never left his phone number. Then fourthly, we also saw as we concluded that the gospel rests on the sacrificial redemptive death of Jesus Christ. You see it there in verse four, who gave himself for our sins. The death of Christ was not a meaningless tragedy of a promising young man. It was not simply a display of heroism. It was not simply an illustration of how far someone should be willing to go in loving God and men, but rather the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was a deliberate sacrifice for our sins. A holy God had declared that sin should be justly punished, And he is not going to back down from his word. He can't go against his word unless he then ceases to be God. Therefore, if anyone is going to be reconciled with him, their sins must be punished. But you can't reconcile yourself with God and and live for him. Without the regenerating power of Christ, you and I would be doomed to eternal punishment which is the price we would have to pay for our rebellion against a holy God. But the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself on our behalf. He laid down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice, dying in our place to take the punishment, the condemnation, the death that our sins justly deserve so that we might be reconciled with God. Now, it is important to understand some of the key words that have to do with the sacrifice of Christ. Of course, the Old Testament believers were taught all this through the whole sacrificial system. Uh, they were to bring animals to be sacrificed on the altar, to shed their blood there. and That was, of course, symbolic of the Lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed in the place of all of his people throughout the centuries. But we need to understand some of the words that explain the death of Christ, because if you don't understand, in some measure, the death of Christ, you are not going to rest your future upon what he accomplished in his death. Understanding the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to our faith. You've got to know why you believe him, so you've got to know what you should believe about him. So make sure you understand some of these words. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is said to be an atonement. I'm sure you've heard of the day of atonement. Well, atonement means a covering. God is angry with us because he sees our sins. And that will continue forever unless our sins are covered. In other words, hidden from his sight. And the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed in our place, atones for our sins and hides our sins from God's sight. We also speak of the death of Christ as a substitution. Everyone, I'm sure, understands what a substitution is. You've watched enough athletic contests, or you can probably remember when you had substitute teachers. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute. He died in our place. He suffered that hell we should have endured. The word satisfaction is an old word that we seldom use anymore. But it is, I believe, the best word along with propitiation to explain the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a satisfaction. But you know, things change through the years. One of the best books I have ever read on the death of Christ is by uh, author Arthur Pink. And when that book first came out about 70 years ago, the title was The Satisfaction of Christ, But through the years, people didn't understand what that meant. So the newer edition, the publishers, in the newer edition, the publishers changed the name to the Atonement of Christ, which is okay. But satisfaction, I believe, says much more. Now, what does the word satisfaction mean when it's applied to the death of Christ? Well, God is a just God. And when you break the law of a just God, the justice of God must be satisfied. When the law of God is broken, it screams out for punishment against those who have broken that law simply because God is a God of justice who always punishes evil and always rewards good. So if any of us are to be reconciled to God... God's justice must be satisfied in a substitute. Do you know how long it would take you to satisfy God's justice and to silence that screaming law demanding that you be punished? You could never do it, beloved. It would take you throughout all eternity. That's why hell is eternal. Because when you sin against an infinitely holy God, that makes your sin infinitely wicked, deserving of infinite punishment. So if you're going to satisfy God on your own, it will take you an, an eternity in hell to do it. Put the great, but the great thing about Jesus giving himself for us is that it satisfied God's justice, justice in his death and burial in our place and silenced the demands of the law, that we be punished by, of course, taking that punishment on himself. Another important word to understand the death of Christ is the word propitiation. It only occurs a handful of times in Scripture. So what does it mean to propitiate? To propitiate, God means to turn away God's anger by a violent death. And the Lord's Jesus Christ was a propitiation. God's anger is toward us every day. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. It says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is poured out against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. God's anger comes at us like a tidal wave to destroy us because of our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ steps between us, his people, and the anger of God beats upon the Lord Jesus Christ instead of us. And in so doing, in bearing, in bearing that wrath, Jesus appeases the wrath of God and he turns it away. Christ's death is a propitiation. Now, remember, I also pointed out a few weeks ago why Christ said He gave Himself there in verse 4. He gave Himself totally, like in a burnt offering. He, he totally consecrated Himself in life and death for our salvation that we might be totally consecrated to God. So the gospel is a gospel that totally rests upon the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Let me give you a short application. Listen carefully. Until you are sure that there is nothing else in the universe that can wash away your sin with all of its filth and pollution except by the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross, you will never come freely and boldly to God, and you will never be received in his favor. So I call upon you. If you came in here today not believing that, believe it now. Now that you might receive right this moment the full forgiveness of your sins, total reconciliation with God throughout eternity. I call on you now to do this. You see, there's no reason for you not to. And the only thing standing between you and the full forgiveness of sin is your unbelief. That's the only thing. And if you can... Give up your proud, stubborn unbelief that you know in your heart is rebellion against the truth and rest your life and your future upon Christ and his sacrificial death alone. That moment, God will bestow his favor upon you and wash away all of your sins. Fifthly, the Bible tells us that the gospel is a gospel that delivers believers from this present evil age. Look again at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. Now, what does he mean by this present evil age? Some of the older translations, like the King James says, this present evil world. But that can be misleading. Misleading. Understand that the Lord Jesus Christ did not die on a cross to deliver us from this created world. In other words, there's no Neoplatonism here. Jesus didn't die on the cross that we might be saved from this body of ours. And that someday, like a snake shedding its skin, we might just fly away from our bodies and just live spiritually forever. The Lord Jesus Christ calls us to stay in this world that God created so that we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world to keep this age from putrefying. When he talks about this present evil age of wickedness, he's talking about the great mass of fallen humanity in rebellion against God. He's talking about the diseased corrupted human race and rebellion against god and all of the cultures and civilizations and environments it creates (laughs) the lord jesus christ came to save us from this present evil age that is the pollution the corruption of this massive fallen humanity and all of the cultures it has created